Welcome to Center Rice. This is the January 21st edition, and we're here without Matt Vernon. And unfortunately, due to school and work, he won't be able to join us anymore. Having said that, you'll get to know my co-host, Matthew Maynard, a lot more. He's here with me today, as we will be here pretty much every Sunday from now on. There might be a few exceptions, like if we have... You know, some final exams, reading week, etc. But for the most part, we'll be here every Sunday talking to you guys. Getting that hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. That's right. <laughs> and we did want to mention right off the top of the show, we can't thank Marat Eights of the Athletic Winnipeg enough. He was kind enough to join us and talk all things Jets. We will have that phone interview with him later on in the show. But let's let's get to what's going on now. And specifically, let's let's briefly talk about last night. As you guys know, I'm a Leafs fan, Matt is a Senators fan, and we were joking before the game. I w- we were both saying the Leafs are gonna find a way to lose this thing. Because it's just it's in their MO. They seem to lose those type of games. And they almost did. And after two, it looked like the Leafs were gonna lose it. They they were playing better than the Sens, but they kept finding ways to give up goals, and it just looked like the Sens finally found something to go their way for once. And I get home, and it's 3-3. Yeah, it it was crazy that I thought the game was over, and somehow they managed to come back. And to be honest, it's not super difficult to come back against the Ottawa Senators at this point in the game, let's be honest. So kudos to them for you know keeping at it, but... If you look at that Leafs team, I have to go back to Drew Doughty's comments at the beginning of the year when everybody was kind of going a little crazy over the Leafs. Same with the Oilers. And they were saying, oh, these two young teams are you know, going to make it to the Stanley Cup and they're the future of the NHL. Well, maybe not yet. We discussed earlier in the year that we believed that the Edmonton Oilers were not that powerhouse that everybody thought they'd be. And we were right. So let's give ourselves a pat on the back for that. But as far as the Leafs go, we were all pretty uncertain what the Leafs were going to be. We didn't believe they were an elite team yet. But at the same time, in their division, we believed that they were going to be a playoff team. And Drew Doughty said something that really resonates with me. And I can't say he's wrong. When asked about coming to Toronto as an unrestricted free agent, he said something to the effect of, the Leafs are a good team, they're not ready to be an elite team, and they're not good enough defensively to make that jump. And, I mean, you look at this team right now, the defense continues to be the problem. I know they're without Nikita Zaitsev, and now they're without Morgan Riley, who are their two best defensemen. That is a big loss for the Leafs, and you said it right there. Those are your two best defensemen, and the further you go down that depth chart in uh, the defense, the more skeptical it kind of becomes when you when you really take a look at it. And I think the you've put it perfectly, Mac. The Leafs have a lot of good going for them, and Doughty's right as well. They have a lot going for them. And we all thought the Leafs would make the playoffs, and right now they're in a pretty good situation to do it. But they're not ready to contend just yet. And 
it's just I can't see them contending this year. Maybe next year, year after that, they have a good window. That's the thing the Leafs have going for them. And yeah, that it's not just that, but they've got all these young players that they could potentially move around. And I know, you know, Shanahan in the front office, even though it's not exactly clear who's the GM of the future, is it Lou Lamorello? Is it Kyle Dubas? We'll have to wait and see. But I think they're going to have to kind of go with a different plan here because every team gets to that point where you've got enough good young players and you've got some good veteran players and you're really ready to make some moves and make your team better overall. And I think the Leafs kind of went into this year with raised expectations, but not sky-high expectations. Like, I think the fan base would tell you that they were expecting them to be better But unless you're talking to a completely biased Leafs fan, everybody saw the issues with this team. So now it's become even more and more clear that maybe the right thing to do is dangle a James Van Riemsdyk and get a defenseman at the trade deadline or in the summer. Or maybe you trade one of your prospects. You know, they have have all these offensive defensemen coming up. And I really like this Dermot kid. But I'm starting to think that the Leafs are better without guys like Jake Gardner and Connor Carrick, and they could really use a really good two-way defenseman. And I I would love for them to get John Carlson. I don't know if that's going to happen because a lot of other teams are going to want John Carlson. But that's the type of guy you want to get. I mean, very similar to like a Nikita Zaitsev. You need more guys like that and less guys like Carrick and Gardner. But anyway. And this is the headline from Sportsnet after last night's win by the Leafs. It says, the Maple Leafs get swagger back and comeback win over Senators. It was a good win for the Leafs. I won't deny that. But I think there were still quite a few problems plaguing this Leafs team. And we saw it in their defense last night. They were just slow on some plays. They gave up a shorthanded goal. And they were down 3-1 after two. And we mentioned it a few minutes ago that... After two, it looked like the Sens were going to get yet another win against the Leafs. Yeah, it, it did not look good. But like I said, credit to them. They kept at it. And I think Freddie Anderson's comments to the team, a lot of people criticized him for them. But at the same time, the way he's been playing this year and how much of a leader he's become on this team, I think the Leafs really took those comments to heart. And apparently, going into that third, Patty Marlowe gave a little speech in the dressing room to refocus, and obviously it worked. And remember at the start of the year, our first episode, you and I both commented saying that Patrick Marlowe is more than just a scoring addition. He's a leadership addition. He, he's been to the Stanley Cup final. He has tons of playoff experience, NHL experience as well, and he's a veteran. He knows the game really well, and... I think it's a, it was a beautiful addition for the Leafs. He's that veteran that can go into the locker room, do a speech like that, calm down your players, and get them ready to go in the third. Okay, now let's switch to Ottawa here. Let's, <laughs> let's revisit Eric Carlson, because not much has changed since the last kind of the latest report was out there, and the report said that they will take his, you know, no trade list and trade list. But at the same time, everybody understands that it's very difficult to swing a big trade like that. But Matt, 
as an Ottawa Senators fan, is it becoming more and more clear that it's going to be really difficult to keep Eric Carlson here in Ottawa? I think it is becoming more and more clear, especially with the struggles this season, that it is becoming a lot. It'll become really hard to get Eric Carlson. You're going to have to give him, A, the max amount of money, and B, you're going to have to win because I think Eric Carlson, he knows at this point in his career, he's at his peak and he wants to win a Stanley Cup. And right now the Sens are struggling and I think it really depends on what happens next year. If they continue to struggle right off the bat like they are this year, I think it will really set a, a negative tone for Eric Carlson in those contract negotiations. And I think the struggles this year will prevent them from signing a contract over the offseason. Because if Ottawa was doing well like they were last year, I think that they would have a contract easily with Carlson. But they aren't. And I think Carlson would love to get a change of scenery. He says he loves Ottawa, and Ottawa is a great place. But I think he he knows he could go to another team and possibly win a Stanley Cup there. And I think it also doesn't help with Eugene Melnick and his comments, right? And it's uh, we have no proof that Eugene Melnick is pulling some strings behind the scenes, but it certainly looks like it based off some of the evidence. And even if it's completely fake, those rumors out there spread throughout the NHL community. And I guarantee you it'll be tough for uh, Pierre Dorian to sign some free agents this summer because they have that mindset that these players, that Eugene Melnick is a control freak and he'll pay you less money than you're worth. And it's just, it's going to be really tough for Carlson to uh, resign. And I think for him to resign, one of two things needs to happen. You need to move some guys to make some space for him. Or B, you, you need to get better and better fa- get better fast. But it's also the cap issue. Ottawa's got a lot of cap space. That's one thing they have going for them. But it's going to be tough. Okay, let's stick with Ottawa. Matt, put your GM hat on. What, what are the best moves going forward for this Ottawa Senators team? Which players would you like to see move on? And which players would you like for them to keep around? This is a tough one because I know... A, Hoffman's been brought up a lot, but I don't think you should trade him. He's a special player, and the thing is is that when you trade him, you're not going to get someone who's equally as good back, or unless you get a really good prospect. But I don't, And Hoffman's a good player, but I don't see them getting that elite prospect back for Mike Hoffman. And it would really just be a salary dump, and the trade would not be worth it. But the players I do see moving is I think you got to move either Bobby Ryan or Dion Phaneuf. And this has been rumored for a while that Pierre Dorian's been looking at it. And he's not. I don't think he's actively shopping them right now, but he's certainly taking offers on them because he knows that both those guys have massive contracts that aren't expiring for the next few years. And... To, to get that money off, going back on the Carlson comment, it would free up a lot of money for Carlson, and it would free up a roster spot. I, I think that coming into this deadline, the Senators, what's going to happen is they're going to try and get rid of a lot of their bottom six players. I've heard Pajot rumored a lot, and I think as much as I love Jean-Gabriel Pajot, I think you could get a decent return for him. And it also it just helps declutter that bottom six that has just been so painful for Ottawa. If you take a look at that bottom six, they play, they're not bad players, 
but they're getting up there in age, and Guy Boucher puts a lot of trust in them, and they just aren't performing. And it's the same with the defense. Ottawa has the same problem as the Leafs. They have two or three really solid defensemen. And you and I have talked about this before. Cody Cece, Johnny Oduya. You have these guys who aren't horrible, but they aren't going to win you hockey games like they used to. And I think you, you definitely shop some of your defensemen. And I also think you certainly, you don't actively shop Eric Carlson, but you take off, you take listens on offers on him, see what you can get. And if you're Ottawa, don't move him this season. Move, if you're moving him, move him over the off season. Because if you look back on the past few years at the trade deadline, you and I discussed this as well before we got on the show, is that a lot of deadline deals are really rushed because all the players, the, pardon me, all the GMs are just trying to get moves in before the deadline. And it's rushed and you don't get what you want back. And I think if you wait till the offseason, you'll get a better deal for Carlson if you want to trade him. And we'll be right back right after this break on Center Ice. Welcome back to Center Ice. Let's continue that discussion because we did have to get cut off a little bit there for the break. But we were talking about Ottawa and their defense. And I just want to make a little reference here. We know what works and what doesn't work in the NHL. And a good example of a system that works with defensemen in the NHL right now is the Boston Bruins. Their number one pair is the Dano Chara and Charlie McAvoy. Now, a lot of people that haven't really followed the Bruins a whole lot will say, oh, Zdeno Chara is old and slow and he's no good anymore. Well, actually, he's been very good this season. And that's an example of a defensive pair that can work. You don't need a great skater on one side, but you need kind of a a young, speedy, two-way defenseman, as well as kind of a shutdown guy. And we go back to last year in Ottawa when they had... Mark Mathot Mark and, Mathot Eric, and Carlson. Eric Carlson. And you look around the NHL, Tampa Bay, they have that same kind of system. No team or very few teams that I can think of that are very successful this year have two offensive defensemen on the same pair because it just doesn't work. So a lot of people get caught up in you know, the skill in today's game. But it's really important to have a mix on your D pair because that's what works. And we're not just saying this because it's what's working recently. This has been working the last few years and it doesn't matter how much the game speeds up. As long as you don't have a Roman Polak (laughs) on your team that you want, you want kind of a physical two way shutdown guy on one of those um, sides for your defenseman, right? And then you want an offensive guy on the other side. Or, in some cases, some of those offensive guys, like an Eric Carlson when he's healthy, they're really good two-way players. But those are few and far between, let's be honest. And Eric Carlson, I think, you and I mentioned this earlier this week when we were talking, is that you don't just come back from a surgery like that and perform like Eric Carlson did last year. And to an extent, I think it was to be expected by... Most of us in Ottawa that Eric Carlson would not be 100% this year, or at least most of the year. Maybe as we approach March and April, we'll see him continue to improve. I've seen it throughout the year that he's improving, but he's definitely not the two-way player he was last year. And it certainly has been affecting Ottawa. And here's Ottawa's top pairing. You've got 
Johnny Oduya and Eric Carlson. And uh, Johnny Oduya is just, he's a good shutdown defenseman, but he's just not a good enough skater to be on that line with Eric Carlson. And I've seen Thomas Shabbat put with him a few times, and it's a fun pairing if you're a fan. It's a lot of fun. Two high-scoring, high-flying defensemen. But really, it's not the greatest shutdown one. If you're de- if you're up a goal and there's a minute left and you got to kill off the rest of the clock, do you want Eric Carlson and Thomas Shabbat as your two defensemen? Uh, you could make an argument for it. And you could certainly have one of them out there, but I don't know if you'd want both of them out there killing that last minute. I think you'd want someone like a Fanof or a Cece if you're just looking at internally for Ottawa because those two are shutdown defensemen as shutdown defensemen go. And it would be good for Ottawa to just find a way to get Eric Carlson with a proper defense and pairing. Because since Mark Mathias left, Carlson has pretty much played with every defen- other defenseman on the team. He's played with Oduya, Fanuf, Cece, Borowiecki, and Thomas Shabbat. That's every defenseman you have on the team, and Cleason. So y- you got to find someone that works and stick with it, because Johnny Oduya clearly isn't working for Ottawa. And Guy Boucher seems to think it's working, even though I think most of us would say that pairing is not working. You watch him last night, it's just Oduya seemed slow and Carlson seemed fast. Yeah, and let's let's switch gears a little bit because we wanted to mention briefly some of the Olympic rosters. Now, these Olympic rosters aren't going to knock your socks off, let's be honest. But the one thing we do have to mention is Rasmus Dahlin makes Team Sweden and... 100% deserved. And if you guys didn't get a chance to catch this guy during the World Juniors, it'll be really interesting to see how well he does against really not the greatest competition internationally. And a lot of people could argue World Junior teams could beat these rosters. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does in this tournament because, first of all, he's just really fun to watch. And second of all, you know, how does he play? Because he's one of those special guys that can play that two-way game and he can turn up that offense when he wants to. And, you know, I'm just really excited to see him. But let's talk a little bit about the Canada roster. Who are some noteworthy names that they've got, Matt? Uh, the first one that I saw, mostly because he played for Ottawa last year, Chris Kelly. I, I noticed him right away, and kind of a surprising pick for me because he was he is playing with Belleville right now, so I wasn't sure if he'd be going. But I think it's a decent pick for Canada considering the pool you had to pick from, and it wasn't a very strong pool if you think about it. And Chris Kelly is getting up there in age, but he's got a lot of experience. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's a proven scorer when he gets the opportunity, and I think he can really help Canada. The other player I really saw, and to me this is, and you can agree or disagree with me on this, Mac, is it? It's kind of a nostalgia roster if you take if you really take a look at it. It looks like a lot of players you'd find on NHL 2K10 or NHL 10 or 08 or <laughs> 09, right? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, like Gilbert Brule. Derek Roy, you got uh, Mason Raymond, right? And these guys aren't bad players. It's just 
they're obvious. Obviously, most of these guys are past their prime, and they're what Canada could get. I still think these guys could contend for a medal, though. If you look at the American roster, it's not a whole lot better. And here, I just got to pull up the roster here, but it's not a whole lot better as rosters go because the Americans are like us where for the past 10, 15 years, we've been drawing our players from the NHL, and now we're suddenly told to take whatever we can find. And it's a it's a tough thing for do, to do. And I think given the situation Canada had, they've gone a pretty decent roster, all things considered. Now, are the top four teams the usual suspects? Canada, Sweden, U.S., Finland? Uh, well, the thing is, is that the Swedes are going to be in that conversation, especially with Rasmus Dahlin. But the rest, it's 50-50. I really think a team like Czech Republic could surprise everyone this year because it's such a wide-open field. And the well, the other team I was looking at is the Korean team. They're not going to surprise anyone, as far as we know. But it is nice to see a nation like Korea get their hockey team into the Olympics. And obviously, as the hosts, they're going to automatically qualify. But if it can help grow the game of hockey, I think this is a good move. And it'd be great to see eventually, maybe 10 years from now, we start getting players from South Korea coming into the NHL. It's just, this is a good opportunity to grow hockey globally, even without your top players. And the IOC has already started conversations with the NHL for 2022, I think it is. Yeah, it is. So in Beijing, China, China. And the IOC really wants the NHL players back because... Obviously, it's a lot of ad revenue. You get all these players, you get the hype building up. If you, I'm sure you remember back 2014, 2010, you had the best players in the world. You had Ovi versus Crosby on the international stage, Canada, U.S., best players. But you don't have that anymore, and it just doesn't seem like there's the hype for the Olympics that there has been in the past few years, at least on the hockey side. What do you think, Mac? Yeah, no, it's going to be interesting. It's an interesting tournament, like you mentioned, because it's not the best rosters. It's very similar to kind of a Spengler Cup type roster. That's that's kind of what you're looking at. And I've watched Spengler Cup hockey before. It's not bad hockey, but in terms of entertainment value, it's not going to be a super entertaining tournament for those of you that do choose to watch it. And other than that, you know, I'm I'm interested to see like I said, how Dowling does on this stage. He's He's been fantastic at every other stage during his career. I have no reason to doubt that he's not going to be great again during the championships. So, and his draft stock is already through the roof. There's, there's really, there's really the only thing, if anything, that could affect his draft stock is if he gets injured for an extended period of time. Other than that, He'll be number one if he puts up zero points the rest of the way. <laughs> There's a reason why everyone's calling it the tank for Dolan this year. Yeah. And I finally got the American roster here. It was kind of buried. But here's some of the notable players that I noticed right away on the American roster. You've got Bobby Butler. And if you haven't seen the video of him calling his dad about uh, making the team, it's definitely worth a watch. Go watch it. Because I can only imagine what it'd be like getting on an Olympic roster. You have to feel great for all these guys because 
despite the fact that they're not the best players, a lot of these guys, this is their moment, right? They haven't won a Stanley Cup or they didn't have the best NHL career. And now it's their time where they can represent their country on the biggest stage in hockey, excluding the NHL, and really make a name for themselves. But here's some of the other players. You got Brian Gionta on here as well. And I think that's a good pick by the U.S., a nice, solid player in Gionta. And let's see, what else we got here? There's a lot of decent players on here. You got... uh, Chad Billens and pretty good player, nice defenseman. A lot. The thing is, you have to do a lot of research into these players because a lot of them didn't spend a lot of time in the NHL. But if you watch some of these players, like I have, if you go on YouTube or just take a look around, they don't have bad stats all around. It's just compared to some of the players that Sweden's going to send, especially Rasmus Dahlin. What else needs to be said? It's going to be interesting to see. I still think Sweden's got the best opportunity to really take home the gold this year. But you also have the Czech Republic, who hasn't announced their roster yet, and I think they could contend because they've got some good players in that system. And that's the one thing you forget, like you mentioned, is I think both of us have a great deal of respect for a lot of these guys because a lot of people forget that not everybody makes it to the NHL. Very few do. And a lot of these guys have kind of worked their tails off to make a career in hockey and to get an opportunity like this, even though it is, you know, kind of a down year in the Olympics, it's got to be amazing for them. And there's no way to diminish that honor. And we want to congratulate each and every one of them because they deserve it. And that will just about do it for this segment. We hope you enjoyed it. We will have one more segment right after the interview with Marat Eights of the Athletic Winnipeg. We'll be right back, right here on Center Ice. We have a special guest today. We have Marat Eights on the line from the Athletic Winnipeg. He writes about the Winnipeg Jets, and the Jets are one of the good stories for Canadian teams in the NHL this year. We've had a lot of teams struggling, but the Jets and the Flames are probably the lone Canadian teams that have been bright spots. So the Jets are tied for third in the Western Conference right now. What do you think they need to do in the second half to keep going with that or even improve? And which players do you see having strong finishes to the season? Yeah, Winnipeg has had a strong season, and we look at them as leaders among Canadian teams right now. It would be nice to see more success from some of the other ones as well. Um, But when I look at Winnipeg's success, I have a couple of very key dates in mind. And the first one is November the 16th, which is when Matthew Perro came back from a lower body injury that he suffered in one of the first games of the season. And the second date is December 27th when Mark Shifley went down. He played in sports awkwardly against them and that looked like a shoulder, a collarbone, upper body injury. In the stretch of games between November 16th and December 27th, where Winnipeg was at full health, they were a top three team in the NHL by every underlying metric that we look at. So shot attempts, percentages, high danger scoring chance percentages, expected goals as well. This was an elite team when healthy, um, even during a portion of the schedule that involved a lot of games in a very short time. Uh, since then, uh, since the 27th of December when Mark 
hopefully you can get healthy. Um, we're still about a month away from March Shifley's return, and Adam Lowry has been injured since then too, which is a very major contributor, usually the third most minutes among Jets centers, and he gets... Uh, for them to have continued success, they need those guys back. Blake Wheeler uh, has been playing at center and doing reasonably well, but this is not the dominant team of the first half of the season until those guys get healthy. Right. And speaking of, you know, you look a little further down the road in the season, do you think they're going to take an active approach to the trade down line, or do you believe they're pretty comfortable with the group they have? And are there any real glaring needs for Winnipeg? Yeah, I think that the, in sort of evaluating their strategy, my thoughts go to two things. One, do they know or do they believe that their success has been real? Do they believe in the process that they talk so much about? And I really think they do. I think they know, um, based on the analytics that they track, which I think predominantly focuses on things like zone time, um, Winnipeg has had success, and I should think that they believe their full value for it. The other piece that I look at is the last time they were in a similar position, and that was 2014-2015, when they were sort of middle of the table, not quite as, as high up as they are now, but a playoff spot was kind of in the picture heading into the trade deadline. That season, they added a couple of veterans to sort of bolster the bottom end of their forward lineup. That was Yuri Sklusi and Blake Stepniak. Um, and it was also the season that they kind of pulled off a bit of a blockbuster. That's when Pat, uh, pardon me, Evander Kane was sent to Buffalo and all of Tyler Myers, Joel Armia, and Jack Roslevic are playing on the team from, from that trade. So why do I go into that kind of detail? Well, it helps us talk about what to expect from them going forward. And also, Winnipeg seems to be thought of as a very trade-averse team because they do talk so much about the process. But it's sort of a little bit of evidence that if they believe that there's something there for them, they're willing to make a big deal. So in looking at their situation this season, they're in a pretty uniquely advantageous position. They've got a lot of excellent players on entry-level contracts, so they're getting a lot of bang for their buck on them. All of Nick Ehlers, Patrick Laine, Kyle Connor, there's three of your top six forwards on entry-level contracts. Josh Morrissey as well. Um, roughly a million off the cap for a guy that's playing top-pairing minutes for them. And this happens throughout their roster. Uh, even their veteran players with uh, with contracts that were not signed on their entry-level deals are reasonably affordable, um, and you're getting a lot of bank for your buck from guys like Munch Tyfley and Blake Wheeler as well. So all of this sort of conspires to mean that Winnipeg hits the trade deadline with a ton of cap space. They've been about $7 million under the cap for the entirety of the season. So you prorate that, they have as much as $30 million they get out of the deadline, and that does not happen often. So if it's me talking about their needs, they, they can go shopping. Um, and what I seem to think that they could use the most would be veteran impact players who could push someone like Kyle Connors having an excellent season from that first line a little bit further down the, the chart heading into the playoffs. A little bit more veteran presence in that situation. And as long as that player has uh, a contract that's expiring this summer or next summer, Winnipeg has tons of room to, to, to get that in. So as examples, I'm looking at people like Matt Patrick Maroon from Edmonton. Uh, he's had a couple of career seasons alongside Connor McDavid, but he's an unrestricted free agent this summer, and Edmonton's obviously not doing so well. 
Yeah. Mike Hoffman yeah. Hoff and Pat, Max Pacioretty both go to free agency next summer. And Winnipeg is so well positioned to add impact forwards that those could be guys that, that they look at and fit in. Um, if they want to focus on the depth angle, uh, they've got about eight NHL ready defensemen all the way down to um, Venturot and Tucker Coleman, where there's seven and eight guys who have played well in their NHL stint. Uh, they have about 15 NHL forwards. They're a deep team. I don't think it's adding around the edges so much as if they see a guy like Hoffman who's out there for them, um, really adding to the top end because it's up to them to do it. Right. And uh, what's the locker room around the team like, and who are some of the leaders for the Jets? Matt, on this front, I, I have to say I haven't been in it yet. Uh, that's actually coming up for me. We're uh, sort of partnering with the Jets on that, though. I'll have more access as time goes by. So I can't speak to it in, in all honesty and confidence. But when you look at the beat writers like Ken Weed and Mike McIntyre in Winnipeg, their pieces tend to be filled with Jets saying good things about each other, which is uh, which is really good to see. There seems to be a really good friendship building between Nick Ehlers and Patrick Liney. And when I was writing a piece at The Athletic earlier this year, where I was focusing a lot on Matthew Perot, um, it took me about 30 seconds worth of Google, and Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley were saying tons of good things about him. So for me, as somebody who hasn't been in there yet, I really do look to the leadership as a guy well with the C on his chest, like Blake Wheeler. Fair enough. And tell me a bit about Jack Roslovic. Does he need a little more time to develop in the AHL, or is he ready to contribute right now? Questions in Winnipeg right now, especially with Mark Seifley and Adam Lowry down to injury. Um, and Jack Roslovic, there's a little bit of a worry during the Jets bye week. He was sent down to the AHL, and obviously that was to get the games in. But the question was, would he come back and would he play? Uh, so they called him up this, uh, called him back up as the bye week ended. Okay. So Jack Roslovic and put together a piece at the Athletic 100% based on projecting going forward. So the research focused on something called NHL equivalencies. And NHL equivalencies, if you uh, or your listeners aren't familiar with them yet, are, it's a piece of research that looks at players who switch leagues. So if a player goes from the AHL to the NHL or from the OHL to the NHL, uh, we have lots of data over the last 10, 15, 20 years, however much you want to look at it, that sort of gives us an estimate of how much offense they're going to bring with them. Uh, so roughly half of a player that AHL offense usually comes with them to the NHL, just as an example, and there's some research that's been done on this. And when you look at these NHL equivalencies in terms of points, and you compare them to a player's age that they were able to get that high up. So um, as an example, if a player is in the OHL and he's 18 years old and he puts up an NHL equivalency of 50 points, that's more impressive than a 23-year-old in the AHL doing the same thing. All of this to say, Jack Roslovic has excelled in this uh, in this particular capacity, and if you look at the research that I did based on some work by a fellow named Byron Bader, we're looking at an impact player moving forward. The question of right now is basically coming down to the fact that he has dominated AHL, oh, sorry, AHL defenses for a little while now, and 
with the Jets that he's been creating chances and we're looking for those points. So the argument for him staying up right now um, really comes down to how many chances that he's creating. There's been a lot of work below the goal line centering passes, passes along the Royal Road as well. Um, and the Jets just haven't finished in the five or six games that he's played so far. Um, so that's where the criticism in keeping him up comes from. Uh, for me, uh, I, I don't really think there's much left for him to learn at the AHL level. Um, 12 of 14 games for Winnipeg between Tuesday, January 30th, and then March 2nd are going to be at home. It's perfect opportunity to shelter the guy if he needs to. And he's already received first unit power play time, playing a role in the slot as a one-time option to play Wheeler on the half court. So I think he's ready to play with a top-end skill in Winnipeg. Okay, and we know how good Patrick Liney is right now, but I think we all get a sense that he's just scratching the surface. How dominant of a player do you think he's going to be in his prime years? Yeah, that is a great question. And I think we all know like Patrick Liney has a, a laser beam of a shot, and he's going to be known as a guy who scores a lot of goals in the NHL. Um, recently, he crossed over the 100-point barrier, and in terms of the number of games that it took him to do that, he was behind basically only the superstars. Austin Matthews got there a few games before him. Connor McDavid, Kitty Crosby, and Alexander Ovechkin are ahead of him on that list. But guys like Tavares, Stamkos, etc., uh, took longer to get to that point. Well, that means, does that mean that he's on that level? <laughs> I'm not sure. But he does have an underrated playmaking game. I mean, and Nick Ehlers as well as Matthew Perot have a lot of chemistry together. And you can see um, there, there are times where he actually plays the role of the setup man. So I don't think we're looking at a 40-goal, 15-assist player. I think he's a little bit more well-rounded than, uh, than what we see for him uh, or what we expect for him so far. Um, I did a bit of research into looking at how... Uh, how rookies improve on their shot rates and how rookies improve on getting to the danger areas and trying to project Patrick Liney going forward. So for this season, I was looking at a kind of high 30s in, in terms of goals, and he's on pace for that as well, roughly 38 goals, and, and, and that's in his second season already very impressive. I think we're not quite looking at a point per game player, but somebody who flirts with that and who scores in the 30s most years and breaks the 40-goal barrier a few times. Heading into next season, the Jets have some pending free agents. Tobias Enstrom, Matt Hendricks, Michael Hutchison, and Matthew Perot are unrestricted free agents, while Connor Hellebuck, Joel Armia, Josh Morrissey, and Adam Lowry are restricted. Which of these players do you see the Jets keeping? Um, one note, I'm just going to be a cap friendly here. I've got Matthew Perot uh, signed at 4.125 mil for a few seasons yet, and I'm glad. I think that's a value contract for them. Um, but in terms of their other unrestricted free agents, you've got a couple of interesting stories. Uh, Sean Mathias, uh 
probably makes a little bit more money at over $2 million than you want from a guy who's kind of in the press box when the team's fully healthy and on the third or fourth line when it's not. Um, I can see them moving on from Sean Mathias, and I think Elliot Friedman speculated that same effect that they were quietly shopping him. Um, at the other end of the salary spectrum, they got Matt Hendricks on a 700 k deal to become their fourth line center and do a lot of penalty killing for them. And he was a bit of a divisive player among Jeff's fans. A lot of people looked at him as pure git, sort of pure grit, no skill, um, not necessarily able to keep up, but he's got, he's leading the NHL, sorry, not the NHL, he's leading the Winnipeg Jets in even strength points per hour. Um, uh, so in terms of his playing time, he's actually producing a little bit of offense, uh, which is largely on the back of being partnered with Matthew Perot and Joe Armia for a while. Um, but the point I'm getting to is he's overperformed probably what a lot of people would have guessed at for him. And where he was originally seen as a stopgap um, and just a little bit of veteran experience, I'm beginning to wonder, uh, especially with Paul Maurice saying so many nice things about him, that like maybe they bring him back for another season and see what he can do. Um, myself, I've, I'm more so prioritized uh, top-end skill as opposed to, to grit and, and the sort of dressing room um, value that, that he really gets applauded for. But at the same time, I can't deny he's had a very strong season in his limited role. Um, on defense, it gets a little bit interesting because a lot seems to matter to me on what you expect Jacob Truba to do going forward. Um, so you have Toby Enstrom is an unrestricted free agent. If you know that Jacob Truba is bolting as soon as he possibly can or is going to force the issue as a, as a restricted free agent, maybe you need to re-sign Toby Enstrom. Uh, maybe you need to be a little bit more protective of guys like that. But Elliot Friedman was speculated that since the um, ice time controversy of the beginning of last season that led to Truba's holdout, Truba's actually a lot happier in Winnipeg and a lot happier with how things are going and the sort of role that he's played. So that's a, that's a piece of uh, information that, that I don't have, but I think it's so vital to projecting the Jets defense going forward because Truba and Morrissey have been the de facto number one pairing with Buffalo and healthy and with him hurt. They're getting the top minutes uh, in even strength situations, penalty kill situations. And usually it's then even in 3 on 3 OT that one of them will start ahead of Buffalo. He's not being asked to carry the mail quite as much as he historically does. Um, so those restricted free agents are absolutely vital um, and kind of influence what I expect them to do with Toby Enstrom as well. All right, and lastly, I haven't been to a Jets game in Winnipeg. I've seen them on TV, but just tell me a bit about the fans and the atmosphere for the players in Winnipeg. It's absolutely insane sometimes. (laughs) And I guess every fan base or every team will talk about its fan base as the best of the NHL. I think you hear that a lot, but I kind of wonder if Winnipeg, it might be. Like when you hear... Um, Ovechkin stroll through town and the entire arena is just screaming Crosby better at him (laughs) (laughs) and it's so fun to me Um, and you get that sort of stuff all of the time Um, I was looking at uh, some playoff evidence from them back in 14-15 when they got swept by the Ducks but they were chanting go Jets go 
through the entirety of commercial break. Well, I really can't wait to see what the Jets found do to celebrate this team who um, are going to win games in the playoffs, not just be swept by the fact that they were before. So if they were waiting out the place and chatting, go Jets, go throughout the sweep and celebrating afterwards with Winnipeg as a legitimate threat in the Western Conference, I think the city's going to be a little bit nutty and in a terrific way. And the Valentia's place is going to be the same. I think the, the roof's going to come off that place. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about the Jets because, like I said, other than Winnipeg and Calgary, it has not been a good year for Canadian teams. Even my Maple Leafs are having some struggles lately. So, But that is Marat Eights of the Athletic Winnipeg. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us here on Center Ice. We really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on that. Welcome back to Center Ice for our final segment. As always, we do every week. We had the teams that are doing really well and the teams that are doing not so well. So let's start with the bottom five, and I will let Matt take it away. So number one, uh, I don't. Uh, let me know if you agree with this or not. But number one, I have the Buffalo Sabers, and it's quite simple. I don't think I have to argue too much why they're here. They only have 11 wins on the season. And I watched their game yesterday against the Dallas Stars, and they just looked lost. They didn't look like they had anything going for them. Nothing was going right. A 7-1 loss. They've lost... They've lost two in a row, and just nothing seems to be going right in Buffalo. They have a minus 59 goals against, pardon me, goal differential, and that's absolutely ridiculous. It's far greater than pretty much any other team, with the exception of Arizona, who's at minus 54. The next team I put on my list at number two, this one may surprise you a little, but I think after their play in the last 10 games or so, I've put L. LA on my list at number two. They've lost six in a row, and they just seem to be struggling right now. Their defense hasn't been good. Offense seems to have gone quiet. Just they're going through one of those phases that pretty much every team goes through in the season where they're struggling. And oh, if you've lost six in a row like the Kings have, I think they definitely deserve to be on this list. They're my second my bottom five. I consider putting them higher on the list, but it's just when I've watched some of the Kings highlights recently, they just haven't been good. So they deserve to be at number two. The next team I have is the Arizona Coyotes. And the Coyotes have been better as of late, but still, they're the same in the same situation as the Sabres. They only have 11 wins on the season. They had an all right week this week, all things considered. Their last 10 hasn't been too bad of, as Coyotes go, 3-3-4. Three, three, and four. But still, they aren't that good. They've, they're making some moves. They know that they're going to be in for a long rebuild. They've traded Duclair. It's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the desert. The next team I have, and it's one that you and I talked about last night. I have the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they won last night. I'll give them credit for that. They played well in that third period. But that second period really was pretty sketchy for me. And they lost Four in a row, I believe it is, before that. Yeah, it is four. And whenever I watch them, it's just, it's the defense. I can't get on board with that. And you and I talked about it earlier in the show. They 
give up a lot of goals. They've blown some late leads. And I didn't want to put them high on my top five, probably my bottom five, because they 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 aren't as bad as some of the other teams I've mentioned, but they certainly deserve to be on the list for their play in the last little bit. And the last team I have on this list is the Vancouver Canucks because I've watched the Canucks and they're not a horrible team. It's just they seem to find ways to lose. It's like the Leafs. They've they sometimes they blow leads and they just find ways to lose, right? The, shoot themselves in the foot as you will. They're, the Leafs are obviously better than the Canucks, but the Canucks haven't been, they've been mediocre. And I think that they've had a better week than the Leafs have because they've actually won a game this week. When I look at the Canucks, there's two things that need they, they need to upgrade. Number one, it's their defense. Oh, for and sure. number two, it's the goaltending. And... They've got a pretty good guy coming up named Thatcher Demko, so okay. that that position will get upgraded. Yeah, the thing, but sorry, where are you going to get the upgrade on defense? Because you're dressing Alex Edler, and I, I like you look at that Vancouver decor; it's pretty sketchy. Other than you know maybe Ben Hutton, Chris Tanev, and what um the kid hasn't been that great this year stetcher stetcher was really good last year but other than those 3 i look at that vancouver d they have delzato delzato's not a bad defenseman but alex edler and i think it's good branson like pretty sketchy defense there for vancouver and i think they know that they need to upgrade that position and they know they need to upgrade the goaltending, but they went with Markstrom because a, they wanted to see what they had. They wanted to see if he could potentially be a number one. I think it's abundantly clear that that's not the case. And also because they wanted Demko to develop a little more in the AHL and he's had a fantastic season, but I agree. Vancouver deserves to be there. There's lots of good things in Vancouver. Mm. There's lots of yeah, good things going on. You've got Besser. You've got Demko. You've got all these good young players coming up. Bo Horvat's a really good player. Sven Barchi's been impressive at times. So it's not all doom and gloom for Canucks fans. I think they're heading in the right direction. Yeah. So my top five, excuse bottom me, five. my bottom five We're is, both getting mixed up. <laughs> is similar. I do have Toronto there because... There's too many issues with this team right now. Mitch Marner and William Nylander are not producing at the pace they were last year. And at times, I'm not sure they're as confident as they were last year. And Austin Matthews, despite being brilliant sometimes, has not been consistently brilliant this season. Uh, You can chalk that up to the injury and the concussion, potentially. But I think... One thing you have to remember about an Austin Matthews is that he's human and he does have those struggles with confidence because he's a young player going into his second year with huge expectations for not only himself, but the team in front of him. So, and you know, Freddie Anderson's been good. Morgan Riley's been impressive, but there's a lot of question marks with this Leafs team right now. And I don't like how they're playing as a fan. I can put them in my bottom five. And the second team in my bottom five is Ottawa. I don't know how much more detail we need to go into about Ottawa. They're a clear bottom five team at this point. And Vancouver, like I mentioned, they're in there as well. And I did want to put a little more variety into mine, but 
it's really hard for me to leave Edmonton and Detroit out of my bottom five because we've talked about Edmonton so much on this show. There's too many issues and not enough answers for Edmonton right now. We're still not really sure why Peter Shirelli has a job. And Detroit, Detroit's an interesting one. To me, they had a good start to the season and they've really fallen off lately. The one thing that you forget about the Detroit situation is they do not have a good salary cap situation for a team that is or should be rebuilding like Justin Abdelkader is signed. All of these guys that should not be paid as much as they are are signed to long-term contracts and they're going to have some trouble getting out of that going into the off season, but that will do it for our bottom five. And we have to do a quick top five. So I'm going to start. My number one team is Boston 12 0 and four in their last 16 games. They've been fantastic. Vegas. Number two can't argue with results. Winnipeg really impressed with their win yesterday. I do think they're going to start rolling again soon. Calgary. They've been great lately. Mike Smith's been fantastic. And finally, Colorado. McKinnon has points in nine straight, and they have nine straight wins. Matt? Uh, My top five is pretty similar, although it's in a bit of a different order. My number one is Colorado. Winners of nine straight. You can't argue with that. I debated putting Boston in front, but I like what I'm seeing from Colorado. They look like a brand new team since the Duchesne trade. They look like they're young, fast, look like they're ready to win. The next team I have, I have the Bruins right behind them. And as I said, I debated putting those two in the order that I did. You said it perfectly. They've won 12-0-4 in their last 16. You can't argue with that result. They've been scoring like crazy. They have had points since mid-December. They're looking to make a run. The number three team I have, and this is the one team that I had different from you, is I have the Washington Capitals because they've quietly had a pretty good last 10 and they've, they're have they quietly sitting atop the Metropolitan Division. Ovi's been playing well. They've been playing pretty well. And the next team I have at number four, I actually have the Philadelphia Flyers. And this is definitely, real. I know you are you look surprised, but the Flyers have, are 7-3-0 in their last two. They've won two in a row. They played really well against that devil squad yesterday who has been who have been consistent all season and I like the direction the Flyers are trending then the final team I have on this is the Calgary Flames and you, you said it perfectly Mike Smith is playing well Flames are playing well overall lots of goals lots of fun and I debated putting Winnipeg on there as well there were a lot of teams that I debated putting on but those were the five that this week really stood out to me and that will do it for this show we did want to mention once again a thank you to Marat Eights for coming on we're planning on bringing on lots of guests for your listening pleasure and we're also planning on doing some fun things like some promotions that we'll be talking about pretty soon on the show and we're really excited thanks again for listening wherever you are find us on itunes at center ice find us on soundcloud and have a great day